Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are doing a very good book, Win Bigly, Persuasion in a World Where Facts Don't Matter by Scott Adams. Mate, this has become one of my new faves, actually. I absolutely loved reading it. Uh, it is told through the filter of uh, the, what, 2016 US presidential election. So, it is a lot about Trump, but um, obviously being Aussies, we didn't have a whole lot to do with it, but... Mm. Um, looking at the persuasion techniques and influence, man, it's, I reckon it's absolutely phenomenal stuff that can be used in everything, not just presidential elections. Yeah, because it's, it's very bizarre. If you look at it from the average Joe point of view, you know, how the hell did Donald Trump, yeah. who a lot of people just saw as a, a crazy lunatic clown, end up the president of the United States and perhaps one of the most powerful people on the mm. whole planet? So this book, from a, a persuasive perspective, it makes a lot more sense on how he did it and all the techniques and all the strategies he actually used. Exactly, man. And what he says that, you know, facts don't matter. It's all about persuasion. And Scott Adams is a trained hypnotist. So he said he saw that Trump was what he calls a master persuader. And he says, in fact, that he was probably the most persuasive human he's ever seen. And he starts off talking about filters. And the filter is the, the way through which we see the world. And so there's all these all different types of filters which we'll sort of explain. But he says a good filter is one that firstly makes you happy and secondly, you can use to predict the future. So Scott Adams is using his persuasion filter because it makes him happy and he says he does a good job of predicting the future because he predicted Trump was going to win. Yeah, so every day or every moment there's you know millions and millions and billions of bits of information coming through your head and you have to somehow filter it out to be six bits. So there's all these different types of uh filters we all have so the six bits i'm saying you know six bits very arbitrary here but (laughs) whatever bits you end up with um is going to be different from every single person you come across depending on whatever filter they've adopted and scott adams he's had a whole bunch of them and right now he uses the persuasion filter yeah he talks about how when he was a kid he used the santa claus filter which is you know you're either naughty or nice so he's always viewing what his behavior as pleasing Santa Claus or not, so he could get a good present. Yeah. After that, he went through the church filter, as a lot of us do. So he got, you know, smashed by his parents into the to the church to follow Jesus and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. He went through the atheist filter after that. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it went the exact opposite direction. And even the alien experiment filter, where yep. I think he thought he was, you know, he was uh, aliens yeah. probing him. <laughs> That kind of stuff. And then he got, got a bit older and he started experimenting with the weed filter. So, he smoked a lot of that. <laughs> then the mushroom filter. So, he had a lot of shrooms. Yeah. And he said, once you understand your experience is just an interpretation of reality, you can't go back. So, yeah, that, that really influenced his filter. life. And he also talked about the moist robot filter, which is saying that humans are robots in that they're very um, programmable inputs and outputs, and which is sort of his previous book talks a lot about that, uh, how, how to fail at almost everything and still win big. Yeah. And today, as we've said, he's now in the persuasion filter. And if you look at your own life, and especially for me, man, I've gone through different phases where I would have different ways of viewing the world. Mm, and, you know, I, I look at the world completely differently now. It's just the way you f- there's no right or wrong way of doing it. It's just different filters. Mate, what he says about the persuasion filter, he says that whenever our feelings turn on, our sense of reason shuts off. And that's why persuasion is, um, he says that the, he looks at the persuasion filter because reason and facts don't matter. It's all about those feelings and emotions. He says yeah. that we literally make decisions first and then rationalize it after the fact. And one example was he had um, a transcript of Trump's inauguration speech, so just the words. He gave it to a Trump supporter, and the Trump supporter said, this was awesome. And he gave it to an Obama supporter and said, here's Obama's 2008 um, speech. And he's like, yeah, this is awesome. (laughs) Even though it was Trump's speech. Yeah, so the one one thing can happen in the world, and then two people... 
viewed yeah. through two completely different movies. And that's a good example of it. So, he has a summary of the different persuader types. Yeah. So, he says you got up the top is master persuaders. He calls it weapons grade. And that's your Trump. That's your Steve Jobs. That's your Tony Robbins. That's your Madonna. He says they're the people that know how to use it. And they know what they're doing and they can use it in actual, you know, they're actually using it. They're hardcore persuaders and you don't even know it. Another is cognitive scientists. So, that's like your, I guess, your Cialdini and your Dan Ariely and those sort of, sorts of guys that they know what's up. Maybe implementation, they're not doing it themselves, but they know exactly what's what's going on. And then you've got commercial grade persuaders. Yeah, which is what Adam says is him. Like He's using it in a, a business context. He's doing it pretty well. But Adam says, look, you know what? If anyone who's a cognitive scientist or anyone who's a master persuader says whatever Scott Adams says was wrong, then probably believe them because Adam's just saying, look, I'm at level three. There's level two and level one above me. Mm. So, yeah, he says at the start of the book, and this is a lot of everyone's opinion, including myself for a, a little while anyway, mm. is that is Trump a horrible monster? Mate, I liked what he says here in that, you know, some of the stuff, I think, especially very, very early on, Adams was not on Trump's side. And before that, he doesn't, you said he didn't vote in elections, but he's very, very liberal, far left, I believe, like yep. Bernie, Bernie Sanders level or beyond. Mm-hmm. But some of the things that he talks about, like, okay, let's build a wall and keep out all the Mexicans or let's round up and deport all the illegal immigrants. But what um, Adams is saying is don't look at just those things. Look at, okay, he's using negotiation techniques. He's setting an anchor. So that's like an extreme anchor. And then he can reason back to his side of the middle. Mm. Um, He's using pacing and leading. So anyone who wants to build a wall, anyone who wants to deport illegal immigrants, they're all on Trump's side. Yep. And now that they... Trump has um, paced those people. He can then lead them by saying, actually, maybe that's a bit extreme. Let's dial this down a few notches. So, yeah. he's saying Adams is saying, look, if that's what he was doing, if he's getting all the extremists on his side and then bringing mm. them back to a more normal level, then that's probably a good thing. Yeah. And again, it comes back to these filters. So, if, you, if you're someone who's consuming the left-leaning news, you're probably going to be convinced that he is a monster. But if you conserv- uh, if you were consuming the conservative news, you'd probably be thinking Hillary is just evil incarnate, yeah. or just a crooked <laughs> exactly. little crooked bitch. <laughs> man, that's the thing with our um, our news feeds, man. Whatever we like is what Facebook then shows us. Yeah. So whatever we whatever we're clicking like on is what we see more of. Yeah. And it works, man. This is a perfect uh, unintentional segue into the next part, which is why facts are overrated. And he talks about confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance as two big puppers. And that confirmation bias is that. When you've got one idea in your head, everything you see around you confirms that idea. So you're no longer, um, you know, an innocent bystander. You've got an idea, and everything is confirming that idea. Exactly. Yeah. So you're not gonna, yeah, you're not gonna take on something, something new if it doesn't fit in into your beliefs. You'll just wrap it and every, and warp everything in reality to to suit exactly what you believe right now. Exactly, man. Um, so if you don't understand cognitive bias or um, you might think that new information can change people's opinions but if you understand this you can't really change people's opinions they've got them and yeah. you just got to understand that they can't be changed he's saying that, like if you've got an idea if you think oh this person is wrong if i just tell them the thing that's right if i give them the facts and reason of what's actually right then they'll believe it yeah but he said that's definitely not how it happens and in fact if you attack someone's belief mm. they're probably going to get a, have a stronger belief they're not yep. going to think oh this guy is just trying to show me what's right they think no this guy's wrong i'm to defend my belief that's it so your brain in this situation is going to take the path of least resistance so when it takes the information it'll it'll instantly interpret it based on the observations you already have on the world so it's much harder for the brain to come up and warp into a whole new idea you know it's much easier to just fit around what the the neural pathways already have set 
Exactly, man. Mate, as I said, I absolutely love this book. This is, uh, I do like a mind map before and you do your notes before and this is the biggest map I've ever done. So <laughs> trying to get it down into a 20, 25 minute episode is, is tough. We'll, but the we'll next thing best. I liked is uh, what he calls intentional wrongness or strategic ambiguity. And so that's like things like, you know, you'd hear Trump making all of these um, ridiculous outlandish claims that seemed so bizarre and but what he was actually doing is what he says here this intentional wrongness or strategic ambiguity so number one is he makes a claim that is directionally accurate so it's a big exaggeration of this some kind of factual error but it's directionally accurate like if if trump says uh you know we're in the worst times ever for unemployment Maybe we're not in the worst times ever, but unemployment is going in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's it. And again, it comes down to that wall kind of idea. So you make something die. Actually, that's not directionally accurate. That's pretty racist. <laughs> <laughs> you also do that, man. Well, <laughs> number two. So after you've made something that's directionally accurate, number two is then you wait for people to notice the exaggeration or the error. And then they spend hours talking about how wrong it is. So when Trump yes. makes this ridiculous outlandish claim... So the wall does fit into this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then, so uh, he makes this ridiculous claim and then people then go, hang on, that's not possible. So the strategic ambiguity there is that, oh, we're going to build a wall, one solid wall across the whole US. And people say, hang on, how is that going to work if there's mountains and there's water and then there's all these different parts and it's going to cost so much money, it's impossible to do. And all this time that people are explaining it, mm. they're all talking about this the wall. Yeah, they're always talking about these details and they're assume, they're thinking past the sale. And I don't know if this mm. comes this part. Yeah. But they're all of a sudden they're agreeing subconsciously that you know the border security is a problem. Yes. Because they're thinking about the details of the wall. So he kind of persuades them past the fact without them even realizing it. Exactly, man. And then the third part of it is that when you dedicate your energy and focus to something, then you remember it and you view it as more important. If you've just spent the last two hours thinking about the wall and arguing about the wall, then suddenly the wall is a super important thing in your mind. Yeah, and it comes. this comes in Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which is, he talks about the avail- availability cascade, which the media do a lot. So they might talk about terrorism, things like that in every single news situation. And even though it's like a very small minority of deaths in the world, it's like maybe the top 300 in the 300 cause of death. Yeah. Just because it occupies a good part of the brain and the news cycle, you give it extra importance yeah. just because it's on your mind a lot more. Exactly, man. Um, and the, the important thing there about this strategic ambiguity is that Trump never said, actually, no, you guys are right. It can't be one solid wall the whole way. Like some parts we're going to have to use, uh, you know, chicken wire and some parts we're going to have to use bricks and some parts we're going to have to use wood and blah, blah, blah. He never cl- clarified that. He always said, no, nah, it's going to be one big solid continuous wall. Yep. And in people's mind, they just saw a wall essentially. So it's one of those things like facts are weaker than fiction. Yeah. So he could have got into the facts, but he didn't. Yeah, exactly, man. Mate, in my um, excitement, I, you reminded me I skipped over cognitive dissonance, which is an important one. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that as well. Mate, cognitive dissonance, and that's what um, Michael Shermer talked about as well, which I thought was sweet, how he said that, you know, if there's something big going on, like bombing the World Trade Center, then there has to be something big that caused it. It can't be just 12 dudes. 
yeah. um, who hijacked the plane. There's got to be some massive conspiracy behind it. Yeah. And cognitive dissonance, I guess on a personal level, is if you think, oh, I'm a really truthful person and you tell a lie. So there's this dissonance there where you think you're truthful, but then you did something untruthful. And so this cognitive dissonance is where then you say, oh, it's okay. It was fine to lie this time because it was for the greater good. Yeah. You, know, you justify your own actions there. Yeah, so you rationalize why your actions are inconsistent with your thoughts and beliefs. So if you think you're smart, but you notice you're, you're doing something dumb, you spontane- spontaneously hallucinate that there is a good reason for what you're doing, even though yeah. it's just stupid. Yeah. So the, the, the definition, I'm still not fully over a, a specific definition with this, but Wikipedia says mental stress or discomfort experienced by an individual who holds two or more contradictory beliefs or ideas at the same time. So, or performs an action contradictory to their beliefs, ideas, or values. Yeah. Man, it's a bit of a tough one to wrap your head around, but essentially that if you've, if you've got one idea about the world and then you see something completely different, that's a dissonance there between your belief and what's actually happening and that there's that, the dissonance in between the two there. Yep. Um, which yeah, is, a, is a lot about Trump. It's like, he's this monster, but how come he's winning in the polls? Yep, awesome. And so that's a bit about confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance is is why people were so delusioned. Yeah. And he taught, he has other examples of mass delusions here where, you know, the whole whole populations can be deluded by simple things. Mm. And pretty much econo- every economic bubble also fits in this category. Yeah. So the dot-com bo- bubble, for example, in, even in 19, uh, sorry, 1692 and 1693, Authorities executed 20 people in Massachusetts for being witches. Mm. It happened just because a few people said uh, people were having fits and people were like, oh, they were witches. And then everyone's <laughs> brain went to witches and then yeah. all the new information they got were filtered through this this kind of confirmation bias and, and dissonance. And then they just started executing people. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it, man? Yeah. Was that the Salem witch trials? Is it the same thing or a different thing? Uh, yeah, we'll go with it. We'll, we'll go, go with that. <laughs> so and the other thing is like the financial bubbles you mentioned as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the dot-com bubble or any property bubbles or the GFC. Everything's going up, so we've got to buy. Oh, everything's going up. It's time to buy. You don't want to miss out. And all your facts are already, you know, you've decided yeah. already property is a good thing yeah. and then it might be rationally a bad idea yeah. if you look at the facts, but then, you it's know. caught up in the delusion. Yeah. So with that, the anti-Trumpers, for example, they were caught in this movie and then they were in the Hitler movie and confirmation bias kept them there and they were all in this mass delusion that, that <laughs> yeah, Trump exactly. is, is Hitler and then they woke up in a different movie to the other side. Yeah, that's what those movies he, was, he, he sort of mentioned earlier, two movies on one screen in that there's one thing of the world but everyone's watching a different movie and that we're all seeing the same things but because of our confirmation bias, because of our co- cognitive dissonance, because of our filters, we're seeing different things. Yep. Yeah. Mate, where are we up to now in the book? Mate, there's so much good stuff, man. Did you have much... So, making a hypnotist yep. of... Uh, yeah, this is a good segue as well. Yep. So, this is how uh, to become a hypnotist and really persuade people. And throughout the book, we haven't really mentioned it. He has little little jots on the side, we'll call them, yep. and that and just a persuasion tip where yep. he just like really defines one. There's like 35 of them or something. But mm. yeah. One I really like was persuasion tip number nine, and that is display confidence, real or faked, to improve your persuasive, persuasiveness. You never have to believe yourself or at least appear as if you do uh, in order to get anyone else to believe. And yeah. that's big by Trump. And you say that confidence that Trump says, you know, I'm the best negotiator the world's ever seen. I'm the best businessman alive. All, the, all these things where he's just exuding confidence, it's persuasive for sure, man. Yeah, yeah I want to be on that guy's team. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, just, just 
displaying and that's how a hypnotist actually works. So they're confident that they're going to make changes in you. Yeah. If the hypnotist rocks up and he's like a little bitch and he's all, <laughs> he's all scared, he's not going to be able to do much for you, is he? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a big part of it, with, um, which is why Scott Adams, he often references, I'm a trained hypnotist. Mm. And by telling you that he's a trained hypnotist, at least you can believe it. If he said, you know, I went to this hypnotism course and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, it's almost definitely not going to work. Yeah. But at least if he says, I'm a trained hypnotist and I hypnotize people, you're at least somewhat over the line of you're mm. almost half hypnotized already. Mm. Yeah, that's it. I think that's quite practical. Uh, quite a practical takeaway in the book. If you're trying to lead, influence people or persuade or anything, just yeah. have exert just absolute ultra confidence in yeah. what you're doing, <laughs> even if you're not. <laughs> definitely, man. And then just go for what you're doing. Mate, so the next part he talks about is how, how did Trump... How was Trump able to do this specifically? So, that's part three of the book, yeah? Yeah. And so, he talks about Trump's talent stack. And talent stack, again, is another thing coming back from his previous book, How to Fail at Almost Anything and Still Win Big. And that this talent stack of Scott Adams' talent stack. So, uh, I don't think we even said Scott Adams made the Dilbert cartoons. Mm. So, Scott Adams said, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a good drawer. I'm not the best in the world, but I'm pretty good. And you know what? I'm a funny guy i'm not the funniest guy ever but i'm pretty good and you know i'm a pretty smart guy i'm not the smartest in the world but i'm pretty smart so by but combining these three things he was able to then make the best comic in the world essentially yeah so when once you start you might be it'll be very hard to get the best in the world at one one trait yeah but when you start stacking different traits together you might get a unique kind of mix of traits and you can actually be the best in the world at somewhere in Mm. the middle yeah. And Trump was really good at that. Yeah. As a quick aside, he said that any talent that you've got that you're pretty good at, the best thing to stack it with is public speaking. Yeah, okay. So, become really good at public speaking is a, a, the best thing to add to your talent stack. Mm-hmm. But so, he talks about Trump's talent, talent stack and that he's a really good negotiator, he's a really good persuader, he's a really good public speaker, he's got a good sense of humor, he's quick on his feet, he's thick-skinned, he's high energy, um, his size... He's smart, like he's not the smartest person in the world. He's not the most thick-skinned person in the world. He's not the funniest person in the world. But when you combine that he's, you know, a 7 out of 10 in all these different areas, it makes a really good... It's a really, really unique stack. stack. Yeah. And he's, and he's yeah, very was very effective in, in persuasion as well, yeah. which is another stack which he, he go, uh, Scott Adams goes into in the next part of the book, the persuasion stack. Yeah, and so some of the strongest forms of persuasion, he talks about the number one strength is having a really big fear. So, something like um, terrorism is really persuasive because it's a really big fear. Oh, man, people are going to come and bomb and kill everyone. Yeah. That's a big fear, very persuasive. Oh, for sure. That's how we evolved. Our, reti- our reptilian brain is always scanning for something that might hurt us. Yeah. So, that's where fear is always high on the mind. Mate, the next one is identity in that, I don't know, maybe this is ties in with the illegal immigrants. Oh, there's going to be people coming in and raping all our mm. white women and it's going to ruin our sense of identity as a strong white American race. Yeah. So, yeah, well, all of us are in multiple tribes. So, it might be gender, ethnicity, ages, wealth, religions, and so forth. So, you identify as part of that and that's a way of like, persuading you, you know, yeah. to be part of that. Exactly, man. <laughs> Mate, some of the other ones that are less strong were like aspirations, habit, analogies, and then he says reason is very low on that stack of, um, of yep. persuasion. So, aspirations is a good one. So, he, he appealed to, you know, make, what do you say? Make America great again. So, yeah. he appealed to the people's idea to be safer, richer, and yeah. just plain greater, where Hillary said stronger together, which is almost defensive. Yeah. Yes, exactly, man. Exactly. He, got, he went deep on the specific slogans and, and stuff, but I don't think we've got time for that. He also says that visual persuasion. Yep. is much stronger than oral persuasion. 
um, which oh, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Mate, one thing was the, the Rosie O'Donnell moment. And this is where Scott Adams said this was the moment where I, I realized that Trump's, Trump's, Trump's got this. Yeah. And so what he, it started out, he was on this, I think it was in one of the debates. Uh, and Megyn Kelly was like hosting the debate and she said, Donald Trump, you've called women uh, that you don't like, fat pigs, dogs, slobs, disgusting animals. And so at this point, most uh, politicians would defend themselves. They get defensive, they probably apologize uh, for all these disgusting things that they've said. But Trump said uh, he cut her off before she'd finished and he said only Rosie O'Donnell. Mm. And that was the moment where... uh, Instead of the media saying uh, Trump is a sexist because he said all these things, it was a, a visual image because everyone knows about Trump and Rosie O'Donnell's beef. It was pacing and leading in that Rosie O'Donnell is strong liberal um, and Trump was appealing to the other side. It was a high ground maneuver, which we'll, which we'll dive into deeper later. And essentially, it sucked all of the energy about Trump being a sexist and it, all it was was Trump made this joke about Rosie O'Donnell and for the next 24 hours, essentially, the media just talked about Rosie O'Donnell. Yep. So that's that was the the way that Trump didn't just follow the traditional path of apologizing and defending himself. He went completely unexpected. Yeah, and he does he does that in multiple ways. And as you said, we're getting the high ground maneuver later. I think the reason I didn't understand that part of the book was I don't even know who the fuck Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> I don't know who Rosie O'Donnell is, man. To be honest, mate, mate she's a she was a, a comedian. Um, like she's uh, things like a lesbian. She's adopted children and very yeah. outspoken liberal. Essentially, that all the um, went against Trump or something. Yeah, yeah. All, all the um, other, you know, the other side of the, the political landscape are all strongly against um, her. Yep. Mate, Sick. so the next... The ne- <laughs> <laughs> that was weak. <laughs> Mate, the next part of the book was how to use persuasion. So this is probably the um, some of the best shit here. Yeah. Mate, so- one, one, was, one thing he called the linguistic kill shot, which was um, awesome, in that he labelled all of his opponents be that in his primary debates within his own party or against Hillary. Mm. Um, he gave him a nickname, essentially. And there's a whole bunch in the book. So one was Low Energy Jeb. So Jeb Bush was um, favoured to win the Rep- Republican nomination. And he was seen as this, you know, pretty calm, cool, collected, smart, you know, well thought out, softly spoken dude. Um, and you'd think, you might look at this guy and think, oh, yeah, you know, he's this, you know, older white guy who's pretty solid he's pretty smart but as soon as trump called him low energy jeb you realized hang on maybe he's not cool calm and collected maybe he's just low energy maybe he's just too old for the job maybe he doesn't have the power and charisma that we need in a strong leader yeah and so just that one idea the way he shifted people's perceptions of him then the confirmation bias flipped and they saw him as low energy all the things that he did yeah and it's a very subtle thing and one that stuck because i don't remember the jeb part but the crooked hillary yeah which is another one i remembered Exactly, man. It was sort of like, well, crooked Hillary. So physically crooked in that there was things came up in her health. She collapsed a couple of times. And so she was crooked physically. So when you saw her, you think she looks crooked. Mm. And also crooked in terms of a lot of dodgy shit coming up about her emails, about pay for play, about all other political stuff that we don't need to mm. get into that com- confirm this idea of crooked Hillary. Yeah, and it kind of, and in, in, uh, somewhere in the book as well, it talks about setting the table. And mm. and when you got this idea in, in your head already that they're crooked or they're low energy, all the things they do now mm. in the future go through that filter. Yes. So they might be, so the movie gets shifted toward this kind of negative filter as opposed to something positive which they're already trying to portray. Man, it's a book I just read, Presuasion, which is Cialdini's follow-up to Influence, which yeah. we'll, we'll have to do. So, It'll be on the agenda. Absolutely phenomenal. Mate, another one of the big techniques he had is using visual persuasion mm. by any means possible. And that's like... So, he could explain 
um, all the facts about um, terrorists or all the facts about uh, illegal immigration or anything. But instead, Trump went for these visual things. He talked about building a wall. He talked about ISIS going into the Vatican and chopping off the Pope's head and all Mm. this sort of stuff. Yeah. So with the wall, so he'd say, so bad persuasion on border security would say something like, we will use a variety of means to improve border security, which Mm. is kind of like normal political talk. But good persuasion, what Trump did, he came in and said, we'll build a big, beautiful wall. (laughs) So, you know what he's saying, and and it's very visual, so it locks in the brain. The other one was ISIS and those cages. So, Trump always used to say, ISIS cuts off heads and drowns people in cages. Mate, very visual. Very visual. (laughs) Pretty pretty, pretty scary. (laughs) Exactly. Another one was ISIS and the Vatican. So, Trump was asked Mm. to quote on the Pope's criticism of of capitalism. So, in this situation, he'd either disagree with the Pope or Kratis, or capitalism. Yeah, exactly. He was, he was in pretty much a lose-lose situation where either a politician might either say, sorry, the Pope's wrong, capitalism is the way to go, or he might say, no, nah, actually, I agree with the Pope, um, capitalism's got its flaws. So either way, he's you're backed into a corner where you're either going against the Pope, and obviously America, very religious, mm. or you're going against capitalism, which is what America's about as well. Yeah, but what he said instead, rather than answer that question, he said, ISIS is coming to get him and take over the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> It's just such a ridiculous thing, isn't it? It's just it's bizarre. <laughs> but when when you when the interviewer is expecting him to either go against the Pope or go against capitalism and be ready to get him, yep, he starts talking about the ISIS coming in to take over the Vatican, and you just I don't know, you just lost. Yeah, and, he- <laughs> and that's all the people are going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So it's just the whole thing. Another way to persuade, he says, is by associate association. Mm. So, easiest forms of persuasion involves associating with another in a way that makes some of the goodness or badness rub off on the other. Yeah. Again, also massive in in persuasion in that he... Um, one example is he talked about a Saturday Night Live skits. So, both Trump and Hillary did a Saturday Night Live skits. Mm. And Hillary's one was where Hillary um, acted as a bartender serving an actor who was Hillary Clinton at the bar who was drunk. Mm. And so then, like, Hillary's associating Hillary with being drunk, being at a bar, whereas Trump is a, um anti-alcohol, he doesn't drink. Whereas Trump's one was he was acting in his skit as if he was the president in the Oval Office. Mm. So Trump's already put himself physically and visually in the Oval Office. So he's then associated with being the president already in this yeah. comedy skit. Yeah, so he did that well. One way of not doing it well is like if you tell enough bathroom jokes about yeah. people <laughs> doing things, people are going to literally start associating you with shit. Yeah. Man, <laughs> man in that Crush It episode, you just you just kept talking about it. And I was just looking at you. Mate, Gary kept talking about eating shit. Yeah. <laughs> mate, I was looking at you and I just, in my brain, just associated you with eating shit. <laughs> Eating it the whole time, so we should have tried try to avoid that as much yeah. as we can. Mate. Maybe we go. No, we be talking about we cross shit. the crass stuff too much, mate. So we'll just leave that one, mate. One other thing he talks about jumping a bit um, all over the shop. He talks about a fake because. So he says it when he we said at the start that you make up your mind first and then rationalize later. And a lot of all this different Trump stuff is giving people a fake because. So, if people think, you know what, I like what Trump's saying, I want to vote for Trump, but they can't say, I'm going to vote for Trump because I want to protect the borders because that seems racist. Yep. So, they come up with some kind of fake because. So, they rationalize it in any way possible. So, they think, oh, Trump, oh, he's a good negotiator, so I'm going to vote for Trump. Oh, Trump, he's good at business, so I'm going to vote for Trump. Yep. So, they've got all these fake because, which is not the true reason, but it's a reason that you're allowed to tell people in public, essentially. Yep, awesome. So, these are all the different things. Trump stuck together another one he used and this came up in the book reviewed Art of the Deal mm. and that is how to create 
two ways to win and no way to lose. So the way Trump said this in his book was by limiting the downside. So the, the actual downside of the worst that can happen is actually something pretty good. Yeah. So a few examples um, would be like licensing deals. So Trump puts his name on everything. Trump stakes, Trump University, probably not a good one, but a lot of other things that Trump puts his name on. And there's two ways to win, no ways to lose. So if the business fails, Trump's already got his fixed fee of his licensing deal. So it doesn't matter. So Trump's already winning by getting paid that licensing money. If the business does well, Trump wins because they then come back, they renew the licensing deal or they pay more. Yeah. So essentially, that's why he's, he's in a, a win-win there with the, the licensing. Um, the other one they talked about, a more controversial one about the Mexican judge who was ruling on this Trump University case. And Trump said... Um, I can't get a fair trial because the judge is Mexican. And so the two ways to win was either the judge then looks favorably because he doesn't want to be seen as biased and then Trump wins the case. Or if Trump loses the case, he can say, oh, the judge is Mexican. He's going to be a fair trial. So (laughs) that's his two ways to win. Yeah. Another one of his little sneaky little tricks he had was using the high ground maneuver. Mm. So this is taking the debate out of the details, out of the weeds. And it's elevating the argument to higher ground where there is no disagreement. Mate, it's absolutely phenomenal, man. I can see so many applications where if you're arguing you want one thing, they want the other thing, and you're going head to head and it's either you win, they lose, or they win, you lose. But if you say, okay, let's stop arguing about the specifics. Let's take it back at a level or let's take it up a layer to this higher ground. Can we agree that we both want... X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Yeah. And once you get the agreement, then you can shoehorn your thing mm. to say this is why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's we crazy. both agree, so I'm right. <laughs> so Steve, Steve Jobs had it, knocked one out of the park as well. So I think it was the iPhone 4 or 5 was a bit of a failure. It had some mm. things wrong with it. So when you were speaking on the phone, it would always drop out of calls. Mm. And when asked this in a conference, it could have been a huge scandal, but about how bad that what's wrong with the phone. Jobs said, we are not perfect. Phones are not perfect. We all know that. But we want to make our users happy. Yeah. And it's like, exactly. and if the reporter starts like pushing him about that, it's like the reporter is staying in the weeds and might feel yeah. like an idiot. Exactly. It's almost like um, the weeds is that, is he this, whatever, I forget what the product was as well. Is this iPhone good or is it not so good? Oh, you know, we'll defend ourselves because it does this, this, and this, even though this bit's not so good. You can argue on this low level stuff. But Jobs takes it to the high ground by saying, look, we're all about innovation. We want to do new stuff. We want to make people happy. We're trying our best to create something revolutionary, world-changing. Mm. And so then the reporter says, actually, that's some pretty good ideas. Oh, yeah, if, know, the reporter, if the reporter keeps having a go at him, it's like the reporter will feel small-minded. Exactly. Jobs exactly. makes him feel like a little little idiot. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good it's a good strategy. So, mate, it's a, it's a, it's a, I agree with you. It's a really good book. Yeah. Um, I'm... You know, I don't, I don't think either of us agree with everything Trump says, no, but either way, he did something really amazing and bizarre in a lot of ways, and this book does Correct. kind of detail it, and, and there is a lot of practical advice. To come from well. having no political background to winning the election is, is pretty impressive. Um, how we did it depends... Like, this might not all be true. This might be just one... Again, this is just one way of viewing the world. Maybe it's just that 51% of America are racists who want to build a wall and round up illegal immigrants but I, I like this view of these persuasion techniques and I like that if you don't even care about the US election that looking at all these techniques you can use for yourself I reckon is phenomenal stuff Yeah, I reckon we only scratched 30% of the surface as well <laughs> mate I reckon we got through a bit of the surface you got through some real good shit but mate I love it yeah yeah, it's good phenomenal. stuff so yeah mate how, how can we win bigly we with a big bigly big song, song. <laughs> big, big song fucking <laughs> yeah big song Mr. Trump 
One of the things people love about you is you speak your mind and you don't use a politician's filter. However, that is not without its downsides, in particular when it comes to women. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account Only Rosie several... O'Donnell. No, it wasn't. Your Twitter account... Thank you. For the record, it was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell. Yes, I'm sure it was. Your Twitter account has several... Better not be the publicist. No, it's, it's her. It's her. Yeah, that's her, with the gold. I'm going to use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. I just, I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. I can do anything. Look those legs. All I can see is the legs. No, it looks good. Come on, shorty. Oh, natural legs, huh?